This is a Podcast 225 production. The issues. What's going on now? What's happening in the state? The people. Carl Dabity. We've got Michael Shingle, Taylor Moore, Jay Darden, Congressman Garrett Gray, Richard Condon. He is Ryan Clark, Sharon Weston Broom. The podcast. And we're going to talk about that. This is the Clay Young Show. Up, up, and away with episode 204 of the Clay Young Show here on podcast225.com and on iTunes. What's going on, man? I miss y'all. It's been two weeks. Fresh off the sixth annual Smoke em If You Got them. Playing catch up on a lot of work last week. Didn't play catch up on a lot of rest, but I'll get there. It's okay. It's all right. I can handle it. But for the last couple of weeks, just into other things, and we are back and got a lot of good shows ahead for you through the summer, starting today with a conversation about a moment in world history, really, that is being memorialized and having homage paid to it across the world. And of course, that is the 75th anniversary of D-Day, the Normandy invasion, five beaches, and we're going to talk about that and other things concerning the military and just the world in general with one of my dearest friends, retired Marine Colonel David Kuvion, who will come in to basically sit on the digital front porch. We're going to do a little bit bit today about what he and I have done, not only here, but either at my house or a couple of other places, just sit down and talk about life in general. He's a good man, and he's one of the smartest people I know in addition to being someone who has given his life to the service of this country as a member of the U.S. Marines, where he retired as a full bird colonel and has worked uh, in the private sector as well. So Kuv will be in studio with us in just a moment. Man, so let's talk about smoking really quickly. Thank you so much for those of you who attended this year's event. The benefit, the event benefited the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation and the Special Ops Survivors Foundation. As a matter of fact, as we speak, Nick Roca and the folks from Special Ops, in addition to a number of guests, are in Normandy right now for the 75th anniversary. And I know that they're there soaking in the history and really celebrating the sacrifice made by all of those young men, 75 years ago we'll get nick on here sometime after they get back to talk a little bit about that just a bunch of random thoughts now first up (laughs) i'm not going to make this a show because it it is it's it's kind of not my thing but if you haven't done so google and check out lisa guerrero's interview with pastor kenneth copeland it's one of the most uncomfortable things I think you can ever watch. I mean, it is it uh it took me a couple times to get through it just because it's that awkward. Go and watch it. Also, as we are talking right now, the NBA is in the midst of its championship series, the NBA Finals, and I get I got to tell you, man, where is sports talk now on a national level? It's hard to keep up with it. It, it. it is all drama, all conspiracy. It's just, it's about as ignorant as I can ever remember it being. It's hard to watch ESPN right now. It just is. 
if it's not the politics, it's them taking some little kernel of something and blowing it up into something that really isn't all that important, but they'll give eight hours of, of publicity to it. Yeah, this is my opinion. You can disagree with me on this one. Don't care. And then, of course, there's FX, FS1's Fox Sports 1 that currently employs Skip Bayless, who, in my opinion, is one of the worst human beings on the planet. I can't say enough bad things about him, but I won't start the list right here. Just don't like Skip. He's an example of what is wrong with sports talk right now because you can get on television or on radio and absolutely destroy the character of someone without any basis and have a platform to do it. That ain't right. And then, of course, there is the political discourse going on in the country right now. It's better than Saturday Night Live, and I'll just leave it at that. Better than Saturday Night Live. And Saturday Night Live hasn't been that great lately, but it's, it's better than that. Having said all of that, let's get the couve in the room in the podcast 225 studio to talk with you about the 75th anniversary of D-Day and a whole lot more. He is my guest next. Promote your business or organization on podcast225.com. Podcast225.com is quickly becoming a weekly tradition for Louisiana listeners. Every month, thousands hear the weekly Clay Young Show. Every week, Clay sits with some of the state's most fascinating and entertaining people. Posting your company's logo on the podcast225.com website or having a professionally produced commercial air on The Clay Young Show is a great way to access a loyal and informed audience. Get more information by calling 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. This is Dr. Mary Catherine Rodrigue. And I'm Katie Fetzer. We're the owners and co-founders of The Wellness Studio, a mental health practice with locations here in Baton Rouge and Covington. We are also your host for The Waiting Room Podcast here on podcast225.com. Our podcast is a journey into the world of mental health. On our show, we're going to discuss some of the various forms of mental health conditions. We're also going to shed light on the various ways our listeners can get a better understanding of how the mind works and why we do what we do. So subscribe today to get The Waiting Room Podcast here on podcast225.com, iTunes, and the Talk 107 three mobile app this is the clay young show back with my good friend retired marine colonel david cuvion who has in the first three minutes in the new studio told me about his uh, vast plot to vandalize the door (laughs) with a one-inch marker (laughs) to sign the door. Who knew? And his signature on the door is like he's a rock star, like the babe or prince. I'm I'm known by one one name. Well, we can't say. Well, we can't say because you can cuss on podcasts. (laughs) But uh, he's got the couve up there on the door. What's up, brother? I'm doing fantastic, man. I'm liking your new digs. Thank you, man. Thank you, man. It's 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 good first time in here as a matter of fact and i don't uh, see a smoke eater in this office. <laughs> working on it working on it working on it as a matter of fact i got a box of that i've that we had some smoke them if you got them cigars in and a lot of people have come in and opened that box that i got to put some real cigars out there people are almost expecting me to have cigars in that box when they walk into here i so would agree i got I, I mean i was looking for i was looking for uh, the freebies oh, too man gosh <laughs> i got i got free coffee from you so you got, cool that, well, no, 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 no. There'll be an invoice at the end of the podcast. <laughs> so, um, you, you know, man, we this is this is the first podcast since Smoke'em. 
two week little break there to catch up on some other business and and really to to kind of catch my breath. I haven't done a really good job with that, but our sixth event took place a couple of weeks ago, man, and, and a it was wonderful great. Event it was. We we had bad weather that morning, but by the time we got to showtime, yeah, it was a little bit. Hey huh? man, yeah, you kept looking. Everybody was looking at the phone nah, and the radar. Nah, listen, what's I happen? never had a doubt. In fact, I it was going to go off anyway, and we I, knew that. I told Bobby D'Angelo that morning when we were in here in my in the office, I said, "I just it's going to be fine." And the thing is, look, with that cover out there, it wouldn't have mattered anyway. But I just I didn't have any doubts about it, and it was fun. Uh, we we had special ops survivors there this year. We split the money between them and the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation. So it was a, man, it was a good good time. Good turnout, good event. People were excited. People were doing things. People were spending money. Yeah, giving it, giving what, it to, that's the, what we to like. the organization. That's what we like. There were some um, some good talks. That, yeah, that you you up talked up there. I wish you'd quit telling people that the cigar thing was your idea. It wasn't your idea. <laughs> Good gracious, man! That's, you know, it's it's it's. But, you, tell but, a, you tell a lie often enough, it becomes. A, <laughs> so when are you announcing your candidacy for office? <laughs> and so I'm we, running for homeowner association <laughs> somewhere. Man, I did that one year, and oh, my no. God, I think I'd rather be in Congress. I, I, you know, I'm. I'm amazed. I, I don't know how, how homeowner associations can get away with it. I, I don't think I could ever live under that. I'm going, wait a minute. This is my property. I'm doing what I want to do. Man, I paid for this. It's unbelievable. And if a, if a developer gave me a head, you got to sign this. Bye. I'm right. going to find somewhere else, Man, bro. Man, it's unbelievable. But that's that's a whole other story. And so the two days after Smoke'em, I got a chance to speak to this group that you're a part of here in Baton Rouge at Drusilla's Restaurant, which, by the way, if you like some good catfish, they've got some good catfish there, among other things, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so spoke to a group there and I was honored to to be there, came in on fumes, but had a good time that we did it. And it was my conversation was about the 75th anniversary of the Normandy invasion. And and it is as we record this, it's this week is the said the June 6th specifically is the 75th anniversary where 156,000 men across the allied forces Correct. stormed several beaches in an effort five beaches in an effort to push back this scourge that was trying to overtake humanity and in the in the aftermath uh, 11,000 plus men lost their lives and I talked about it at the event that the average age of the soldier then was 26 years old, and so... Yeah, most people normally think that, um, you know, the soldiers in World War II were young, yeah. much like they are today. In Vietnam and now, um, the average the average age is something like 23, mm-hmm. which is three years younger, sure. which is a big difference. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the Marine Corps, the average age is 19. Yeah. So... Uh, Why do you think it was a, it skewed a bit older? Is it because of what was happening at the well, time? You, you have to remember in World War II... Um, we're st- we were still in a depression. People mm-hmm. didn't have jobs. Right, right. And when the call came for um, volunteers and the draft started up, people were available and they were quite willing to go. Patriotism aside, mm-hmm. it also got them a paycheck. Yeah. And I'm not saying people did it just for a paycheck because in most cases, you talk to some of these older guys, uh, and I've, I've done a lot of that talking to World War II veterans, and why did you join? He said, well, our country was attacked. It was yeah. it was my duty to join. Yeah, and they did. And so there was there was that opportunity, and people, um, 
until the, until industry got ramped up that the arsenal of democracy that the United States became, yeah, um, they didn't have jobs. They weren't there, so they were able to go join join the military. Mm-hmm. Later, when um, uh, the industry started ramping up, Standard Oil here in Baton Rouge, for a key instance, right. people who were working there were exempt from the draft. They didn't go. Uh, but there were other opportunities for people who weren't in uh, strategically critical industries. Yeah. And the thing, and they were older. They hadn't. They, a lot of them had families already, mm-hmm. and so they were they were gone. And of course, the draft uh, took anybody from eighteen to thirty-eight, if I'm not mistaken. So you know, you <clears throat> we we talked a little bit about that that operation, and I, I remembered that it wasn't just the invasion of the the beaches by boats there were paratroopers who started coming in before they came the, in light, the night before yeah before the light of day mm-hmm. because it was such it was such they tried to make it clandestine almost it but it almost slipped out a couple of times because it's even even back then it's hard to keep a secret when more than two people know absolutely <laughs> well there yeah. was a lot of disinformation campaigns yeah. by the allies uh to do things you know one was that uh, they were floating George Patton off on, mm-hmm. on, on the thing right there and let it be known that he was out there. So the, the, they were, uh, the Germans were watching for that little flotilla off yeah. of Calais, yeah. uh, which is where they expected the invasion to come. And uh, then there was the other one, uh, the, uh, I forget the name of the operation, but they actually took a dead, um, a dead man, dressed him up, put fake papers in his, in his, um, in his clothes mm-hmm. and dumped him in the water off of Spain so that the Spanish people, the Spanish uh, government found him and took that information and passed it on to the, to uh, the Germans. I mean, there, there were a lot of other disinformation campaigns about what, when, where, and how it was going to happen. What do you think when you think about that period in history, what's your thought about it? Where, where does your mind go first? Um, <laughs> You know, we're talking D-Day, but sure. um, uh, you know, D-Days happened all over. Mm-hmm. So there were there were a, a myriad other landings. And personally, I'm a I'm a I'm a Marine, retired Marine, steeped in the history of the Marine Corps. Yeah. And I, I read books um, based on World War II, mostly in the Pacific. So I, I think about that. Matter of fact, the D-Day Museum was originally about D-Day in France, and then it expanded to be D-Days that occurred all over. So it was. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, Morocco and North Africa, then yeah. Anzio and and Sicily. I'm I'm sorry, then Sicily and then Italy, mm-hmm. um, then D Day in, in France, and then there was another D Day in um, in the southern France that that most people don't really realize mm-hmm. because the the push up the Italian Peninsula was going was so bogged down because of the Alps, um, uh, or the Italian Alps actually. And, but there were also D-Days in the Pacific, so Guadalcanal, Iwo Jima, Tinian, Okinawa, that kind of, that kind of thing. A, lot, a number of those happened after the thing. And, and the D-Day Museum started looking at all of those D-Days as well, and then it expanded to the World War II Museum right. as it is. But the original thing is, what do I think about it? Um, I, I think this, is prob- this was probably the last time in the United States that there was a sustained cooperation among uh, in the country okay. to to do something, as well as to forge allies to to defeat a common common enemy. Uh, actually, three three enemies who were loosely 
um, allied themselves, uh, the Germans and the Italians more closely allied than the Germans, Italians, and the Japanese. But they did, they did swap people and, and talked uh, strategic and how things how things would work. The Germans never got the, the Japanese to really uh, attack into the to the Siberian thing to start pulling the Russians away. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the Japanese were pretty much tied down in China, and then of course, trying to reinforce the islands in the in the South Pacific for the. Um, um, the campaigns that were that were occurring yeah. over there, but it was the last sustained effort by an, by American people, and, and that's not to say there weren't anti-war people in the United yeah. States. There were there were yeah. there were plenty. They were actually pro-German. Uh, the Bund B U N D were um, uh, a very active organization uh, early uh, before the war in, in the late thirties, and then slightly into the war, but uh, they got shot it down real fast, mm-hmm. and, and it, it became. Okay, we're not gonna we're not gonna make make those kind of ways. But there were a lot of anti-war uh, things going on at that point, and it certainly after the war, there was a continuation of that because the bond that the military uh, soldiers formed with each other uh, during this, this during this service, um, not only in battle but even in training and doing whatever else they were doing to support mm-hmm. to, to support the effort. Um, created a, a comradeship, yeah. so to speak. So you saw, saw the proliferation in the VFW and the American Legion, um, as well as uh, other organizations. And most of these guys took advantage of the GI Bill and got together. And, mm-hmm. and you know, the state universities in particular got a huge boost out of it, a huge boost out of this. And these guys formed these other organ, uh, these other um, groups that they could talk with each other and and cooperate with each other. So there was a I'm going to say a euphoric feeling uh, in the United States that lasted probably into the North Korea, into the Korean uh, War, huh. Korean conflict, when it became, you know, what the hell are we doing right. kind of thing. Right. And, and, and then it started back over. It started back over again. You know, in, in recent years, because this hyperbole in, in politics and in political debate is not brand new. I mean, what people see on social media now and on the cable news shows is fairly equal to a lot of what happened in newspapers uh, in the early early days of American government and, and the back and forth that would happen between not only regions but individuals. And I, all of that is to set up. But recently, though, in the last 20 years, we have heard all of these associations or correlations to Hitler and someone says something and they said, it's like Hitler and you're acting like Hitler or this political person that that's Hitler-esque. And I always kind of wince at that because there has only been one Hitler, just like Batista um, and, and Pol Pot. And what I mean is there have been people of that ilk throughout history. However, comparing some political action in today's landscape to that, I think is is out of step. Do you agree or disagree I, with that? I I, I agree. Um, evil exists in this world. Sure, there's absolutely no question. always has, and always has, and always will be. And some people have had an opportunity through charisma or mm-hmm. time, location, place, whatever sure. the whatever the situation may be, to have a outdo influence mm-hmm. in what they were doing and how they were doing it. And um, the hatred and the evil that that comes through with that, 
but you know, it's really, you mentioned Pol Pot and everybody refers back to Hitler, but mm-hmm. they don't refer back to Pol Pot or they don't refer back Stalin or, to Fidel yeah. or Stalin oh, or, 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 or Che mm-hmm. or, uh, I mean, there's, there's, there's still people out there that that do that. Uh, uh, Bokasa in Africa. I yeah. mean, you know, I mean, there's yeah. a whole bunch. Robert of Mugabe, uh, Mugabe, you know, yeah. Idi Amin. Just, I mean, the the, I mean, the 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 his thumbprint on Zimbabwe yes. is still there. Yeah, it's still there. And so you, but again, it's I, I often, I think it's dangerous for the benefit of not being being historically inaccurate, but also just to get a cheap reaction to compare people. Two folks well, who fall the, into this it's category. The, it's the outsized knowledge. Yeah. You know, people who have no knowledge mm-hmm. know Hitler. Mm-hmm. Right? And they know, oh, he's a bad guy, he's a bad guy. Right. And he did unspeakably horrible things, and I can compare anybody to him because unspeakably horrible means that. Yeah. It's just like, you know, Kleenex is a name brand for paper tissue. Right. And Hitler is a name brand for... Hatred. Hatred. Yeah. Yes. So that's yeah. that's just how, how it's... it's has um, worked out. You know, we have seen uh, an an homage pl- paid to people who fought in these previous battles in, in the early 1900s, mm-hmm. and right now we're we're doing it to the 75th anniversary mm-hmm. of D-Day, and I think that it is good. But do you think it falls on as solid a ground today as it did 40 years ago? The respect paid to people who made the ultimate sacrifice for the country? I think it probably does a little more now. Because, a little more now? Yeah, because I, th- I think on the whole, some people feel guilty about um, their disrespect for the military or people who, who do that. And they see this as the, you know, World War II as the last great true crusade war that, mm-hmm. that was good, not evil. And in the United mm. States now, they start to you know Vietnam was bad. We, right. we you know yeah we we were doing bad things over there. Right. Oh, uh, we shouldn't have, we shouldn't have gone into into Kuwait. Mm. Uh, we shouldn't have gone to Granada. We shouldn't have gone into Panama. Or whatever. Mm-hmm. We we're doing it for our own prurient in, interests mm-hmm. rather than global goodness. Right. And I can make a case both ways. Yeah. For any one of those. Yep. Uh, any one yep. of those things yep. because politics doesn't stay static. It right. changes. It changes. And the interests of the United States and the interests of the world or other countries don't necessarily coincide. So where are you gonna where are you gonna do? And if and if you stand back and look and try to pick sides based on oh the first thing is we shouldn't do war to begin with. Well, that's a pipe dream that will never ever happen. As long as there are humans, there will be war. And that's I can, right. And I, I unfortunately, don't li- I don't like that. That's, fortunately, but that, that's but that's the truth. That's, it's, it's always going to happen because um, there'll be some despot who rises to power who wants to be able to take like Hitler. They they they're not content with the group, the circle that they're in. They want to expand it and push forward and take territory and have everyone either assimilate into what they believe or be eliminated or in some cases imprisoned, but it exists. I mean, the, you, the micro, the microcosm of, uh, gangs in urban. Sure. It's the same or thing. The, or the cartels in, Me- in Mexico or, 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 or the or old mafia. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. It's the yep. same. It's the exact same, same thing. thing. Same thing. And it's interesting with that because, you know, you played a prominent role in what happened in Iraq 
after the fall of Baghdad. And we've talked about it on the show here before that you were governor of the Wasit province, uh, one of the 18 provinces in mm-hmm. Iraq provinces or like states there. And we've talked, you know, here, but we've also talked a lot off the record about what was going on there. And I think one perspective you can give is to the the almost punk punch drunk, if you excuse the expression, nature of people in an area, even after the tyrant has been removed, there is still always that feeling of he'll be back or something will happen. And just kind of talk, talk, speak to that for a bit. It's, it's, if you get up every morning and you get up on the left side of the bed mm-hmm. and you roll out of bed and you roll out of, you do you've done it for years and years and years. Then you go to a hotel and the left side of the bed is against the wall, so you got to roll out on the right side of the bed. You feel awkward. You feel something's not right. right. I got it. Right. You know, I, I, I'm expected to do this, and that's a, that, that's a, that's human nature. Right. And uh, in the case of Iraq, Saddam literally killed the initiative, the the uh, innovation, the individual uh, thought the thing out of the people. So they were deathly afraid, and yeah. they were that's all they knew. That you know there could be a knock on a door uh, in the middle of the night. My my somebody in my family could disappear. I could disappear. Yeah. And when you live on those walking on eggshells constantly, yeah, you're still walking on eggshells because you have no expect. You know nothing else, and you the expectation is that this is going to happen continually over and over again. And you've side you 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 try to find a way inside yourself with whoever the winner is regardless of whether you agree with them or not yeah but you want to be on the side that's for preservation for preservation purposes absolutely yeah Yeah, it's it's funny now because we the language of war that we were in for so long has gone away to a great degree mostly because the current commander-in-chief has seemingly no real taste for it i mean he he talks a lot about the the strength of the military and wanting to have the strongest military that we've ever had but doesn't spend a whole lot of time talking about engaging our armed forces in combats in other places and which is which it's interesting the impact that perspective has had on the national media's interest in talking about it teddy roosevelt said speaks often carry a big Big stick stick, yeah well Trump goes, well, I'm going to yell loudly and carry a big stick, too. <laughs> That's right. And, and you're going to have to worry about whether I'm going to use it or not. Right. And he also talks about he doesn't want to be in, in wars that have no benefit to the United States. Yeah. Now, what has benefit to the United States or not? That's that's a decision that our our leaders and lawmakers have to make. And of course, he's yeah. the president of the United States, yeah. so he's the arbiter of that initially. But also remember, Congress is the one that can declare war sure. or not. Of course, they haven't done so since no. World War II, which is well, right. which is particularly galls me. Yeah, uh, because they're they're ab they're abdicating their responsibility. Well, I think when you talk about the president saying that he doesn't want to be in, in wars that don't have a benefit to the to to the United States, that resonates in a bipartisan way because I do think we are a war-weary nation right now. I think I think support for the military is is high, but I do th- I, I because you think about it, the, the the if you look at how how the public responds or polling or whatever about this, 
and maybe it's not the action of war, war, but the discussion of it has gone on almost without cease since September 11th of 2001. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that there's a little bit of that. And so if you're going to say we're going to do something, then it has to be clear what the impact is. Now, that's anecdotally from the public standpoint, who is not always in the loop on the tactical nature of why we need to do something or why we need to avoid it. But would you disagree or, or, or agree that the nation's a bit weary about war and some of these terrorist conflicts right now? Frankly, the majority of the nation has no concept of war other than what's on the news and whatever thing. And they're Fair. Just, they're, par- they're Fair. parroting what's going on. War really doesn't affect them unless that individual is a member of their, of their family, family or their neighborhood or that, yeah. that suffered or died or they see mm-hmm. it, um, you know, with the veteran in a wheelchair or, sure. or something of that nature. And that, that, other than they, they don't give it a second thought. They don't care. They don't. They literally don't care other than as a political tool to beat somebody over the head sure, with sure. for some reason or for some reason or another. Um, there are small pockets of extreme people who um, are anti-war yeah. or they're pro-war. But those are really an insignificant number of people. They have an outside, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. They have mm-hmm. an outside influence because mm-hmm. they scream and yell and holler and makes for good radio, makes for good TV. And that's what gets that's what gets eyeballs and, and ears on there to the advertisers. So, Maybe not I mean, as that's, much that's anymore. Thing. You know, the, and, and it's funny you say that because having have having had Un in uh, North Korea engage with the the president recently and then that that kind of fell apart i thought the effort was totally surprising that I, it I'm even not got sure that to it's that. fallen apart yet okay you don't I'm, think it's fallen apart so much goes on behind the scenes true. For, for, true. for these things and true. people are talking and they're thinking under true undersecretaries and deputy undersecretaries yeah. and you know people have these long freaking names on the on the thing and they they talk and they get back and forth i when when i was at lsu I was turn uh, that mic a little closer to you. There, I, I was. I was taking. Uh, I forget what. I think it was some kind of international class or whatever it was. And I had a had a professor, and he and he gave everybody a um, a project. And mine was and mine was on whether the UN was worthwhile or not. <laughs> so um, I'm I'm trying to do research in the in the library and figure it out, and I'm. I'm at it. I said, well, hell, I'm, let me talk to somebody. So All I right. called the UN and I started that trying is such to talk. That's a you thing, too. It was a tele, it was telephone. I mean, yeah. I'm trying to yeah. you know, find somebody on the telephone to dial them. And yes, I dialed. <laughs> I'm that old. And, uh, and, uh, no, he, so mean I, he's, I, he means he spun the rotary wheel. Dial, yeah, rotary. <laughs> <laughs> and I called and I, I got a hold of somebody and I was talking with, and I don't remember the guy's name, I, the, the paper. I may have it somewhere in the attic somewhere or something. Um, but the paper, and the guy said, and I asked him point blank, I said, does the UN do any good? And he started laughing. I said, I said, well, I said, I don't see. We're still in war. We're still in Vietnam at the time. Or we just finished Vietnam at the time. Um, we were still there. This, this hadn't come when the North Vietnamese had conquered it yet. And we were doing other things around the world. And he goes, he started laughing. He says, he says, look. Anytime people are talking to each other instead of shooting each other, it's a good thing. 
And so Good for, the, for that thing on the, on, on the UN, I got to say, yeah, huh. I, the UN does have a thing. At least they can talk with it. And even if you're yelling at each other, you're still not shooting at each other. Right. It could escalate, but if you could moderate it and, and do the thing. So, so there's, that, there's that opportunity for um, a give and take on a, on a back and forth thing that, that can happen. It's interesting because the, the nature of discussing national security now, I think, is brainy in a lot of ways because the Internet and, and cable news put so much information out there. And then the astute viewer will go and, and fact check. Not everybody, but they'll fact check a lot of, of what they hear. What do you think about the stability of the world right now as it relates to inter, international conflict? I think we're at one of the most stable parts of our of our history mm-hmm. um you know we could talk about china you know when we're talking about wars and things now we're really talking economics right and um you know the global the global trade um type thing and and who has the upper hand or that or not well, does war come into that to to that because war has always been about economics mm-hmm. no matter no matter what um but honestly uh there are terrorists out there who are sub who are undermining uh peace and and opportunity but for the most part we're relatively we're relatively stable we're at a we're at a decent time at this point in the world people have advanced or are more stable as an individual less poor than at any other time in human history there are less hungry people now than there ever been and there are more people than there have ever been. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you start putting some kind of perspective on that and, and looking and saying, yes, there's a stability there. People are getting fake. Are there people hungry? Yeah. Are there people fighting each other? Yes. You can't. You can't. Are there uncurable diseases? Yes. But on the whole, humanity has grown so much from, you know, rubbing two sticks together and banging rocks over each other's head to... Right. to, to to, to take their food that they've already gathered mm-hmm. for whatever the thing. Humanity, you know, the earth is in a good place. I, I'm, I'm an optimist, and you know that. Yep. You've always known that. Yep. I've always looked toward the good side until somebody, until, you know, something's proven to me that I have to look somewhere else. And I'm optimistic about the future of the thing. I love President Trump saying, we're going back to the moon. I love that the space thing. I, when I was growing up, I thought by now I'd have an opportunity to go into space, to like you know, just get right. on the, just get go Commercial to the airport, travel. get on the airport, yeah. and take off. I, yeah. I mean, I really, I who's literally it? thought I would be able to do that by that by this time in my life. Who, who is it? Richard Branson, who's trying to to do something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the one of the masters of the universe, billionaires, who's who's wanting to do it. Why don't you? Why do you believe? We have, in some ways, abandoned, italicized, abandoned the the, the space travel and some of what we've what we've seen I, in the sixties and seventies. Most, most of the sixties and seventies, mostly space travel was competition between mm-hmm. uh, the United States and the Soviets. Yeah, and there was a one-upmanship type of thing. Yeah, I'm going to do it better than you, and the thing. Right. Rather than a, you know, the history of human um, has been one of expansion and exploration. Right, and Pretty much now, even the the what's the deep sea trench in the Pacific? They, you know, they're even sending submersibles down there. There's not much left in the in the world that has not been traipsed by human feet. Yeah, uh, and so the exploration thing, the opportunity to go out and explore and see new things and do new things, is not there. The only place left is space, and 
I'm thinking now um, that that could be the outlet for hum- humanity. Yeah. That we can go and explore and find new worlds. You know, well, you know, that one of the reasons Star Trek was such a great yeah, was it? I mean, it was. It's a, we're going out there and we're looking for that. And you know, it's we, it, there's an expansion. There's a future out there that we can see and that our children can go do. You know, it's funny you bring that up. I, I uh, talked about Star Trek. The the first iteration of Star Trek, Gene Roddenberry's right. vision of it, had technology in it that looked so otherworldly, and now it's primitive based on today's standards. I could remember the TNG version with Sir Patrick Stewart right. playing Captain Picard right. and sitting at his desk and talking into a screen that looked like kind of a laptop monitor and actually picking it up and going around and typing out a speech or something on it, which today we all refer to that as an iPad. Right. And he, he, he did everything except, except say Alexa. <laughs> well, but, but if you, if you think about it, uh, you know, AI, artificial intelligence, yeah. they walked around the speech, uh, the ship vocalizing a command and the computer responded much in the way that Alexa or Siri responds to us today. And that's, I, I always find that fascinating. But you know the history of science fiction, and I'm I'm a big I'm a big science fiction buff. I love that you know from H.G. Wells, you know looking forward to the yeah. submarines and and rockets and you know shots to the moon and everything, and you know the human race has always looked forward or looked to the future because there's something that can be better and yeah. there's something that I can develop and can I do something or not do something, or and if not, why not? And that may lead to something else. I mean, uh, the the space program in the '60s and '70s led to ballpoint pens and led to um, uh, computers and and miniaturization and and so so many well, other things. What's the saying that uh, necessity is the mother of invention? Mm-hmm. And it it is it, it you. I am fascinated, especially with but, kids. But, but think about necess- necessity in your mind. I, said, yeah. I think we need this when there's no real need. It's just, <laughs> it's just, it's just looking forward. Hey, this would be a nice thing to need, right? maybe. And, and you could and, sell it and make a billion dollars off of it. I'm still trying to come up with that. We were joking about that at the luncheon <laughs> last week about some of these young people who have these great ideas and become billionaires before they're 30. And they're sitting in a chair with something in their hand, and they're doing it just in that. But I think that's... That's awesome. phenomenal. Yeah, I think absolutely. that's awesome. I mean, I know people. I I just look, man. That if you like winning, you love seeing people win. And these kids in their brains, it's something to watch. And you got grandkids. It's something to watch kids with phones and iPads and watch them be able to. At, at, at rapid pace, figure out how this thing works and how they needed to get it to do something. Meanwhile, I'm still trying to figure out stuff on my phone now. I think that's amazing. At, you know, uh, um, it, it used to be said that humans only use 20% of their brain. Sure. I'm thinking now with the smartphones that the kids now are exercising more things in their brain earlier. than we did when, earlier no than question. we did. Absolutely. Because they've, and you know, I talked about this. The thing is, one of the most amazing things about now is the free access to information that children have. Instead of needing to go to the library or buying 
the encyclopedias every <laughs> we had every year and a half. Wagnos, which was <laughs> a horrible encyclopedia. I didn't have Encyclopedia Britannic. Britannic. No. I had to go to the library and get World Book Encyclopedia <laughs> right, right. because that's what they had in there. And we had to learn and, what the hell the Dewey tell, Decimal System what a, was. What an encyclopedia is? They go, huh? What is that? <laughs> and so now they got hard drives they walk around with that have access to Google. So much so that Google has become a verb. I'm going to Google it, and right. and I think that's great, which takes away a lot of the excuses for young people to say, you know, it's harder for me because you can get the information now. And I do think that is a function of the the brain power of civilization and society now. It still does confuse me, though, in some places, the inability to get basic services to people, like on the continent of Africa, some of the places there that struggle with simple things like water. And, 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 And there are many people of, of, of from around the world who go to the continent in, in these many nations and work so, in most cases as you know under their own steam and on their own dime to go and help and I that that still confuses me but you know I guess there's not all progress is fast well, you know one of the things not to condemn anybody but um, you know God helps those who help themselves true and sometimes true. waiting for other people to help true. you is true. is a stagnant uh, portion that's not that, that's not good true so, um and plus you know you can't you don't you can't control what you're going to get when you're waiting on somebody else that, to do that, it for that's you. right so if if you're interested in in hey my neighborhood is is dirty and trash well, damn it go out and clean it up and <laughs> well, we've, i'm pointing at you <laughs> i have pointed me for because because you are somebody that's actually taking that and going out and oh doing absolutely it. and i know and, you know the thing about it is i yeah i thought he was accusing me of something for a second there y'all. i am you accusing gotta... <laughs> of being a good guy <laughs> listen don't be spreading that around all right <laughs> listen but but you know i remember we went out and did some of this in, in part of the community and uh, we've done it in a few places in Baton Rouge and we got we do cleanups and somebody asked me once well I've had multiple people multiple people say well why why don't you get the people to clean up their own yards and I said oh I said wait a minute if there was a person in the house we didn't go in that yard to do anything for them come out and clean up your own yard I mean this was really about the empty lots in some of these neighborhoods as you know the blighted property that's right next to where little kids are playing that's where we went but if there but here's what happened in Brookstown the first time we went out we get on on East Brookstown a street here in Baton Rouge for those listening in other places and it's the Department of Public Works with their trucks and law enforcement officers and clergy and business guys like myself we're cleaning up About 30 minutes into it, you know what happened? People started coming out. They started bagging up crap in their yard and bringing it to the road. So just by the example we were set, people said, let's go out and be. And we ended up having people outside being a part of the solution. But I think that is more effective than cleaning up somebody else's yard. I ain't doing that, you know. Uh, But one more thing I'll get to before we before we wrap this up here. You know, you you've you've seen and done a lot in your career, both as a member of the military, but also someone who has worked in business here around all kinds of people and had charge over people in, in civilian civilian business. When you look around at the landscape, man, of, of where we are here in the South, what, what do you think? Are you optimistic? You talk about being an optimist all the time, but are you optimistic still about that? I am. I am opti- optimistic. Okay. Um, I think you know, we were talking about the kids and the iPhones uh, and yeah. the phones and and smartphones and doing things, and their minds are working and they're 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 doing things. There's there's still a a, a problem of getting them physically 
doing things. Now, yeah, they're, 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 they're working their minds and thing, but getting them to physically do something is different. And getting them to not have instant gratification <laughs> wants. That's, that's one of the issues yes. is, is that thing that they have to learn that um, to get something, you have to work for it and you have to do something for it. You just can't sit and wait for it to come to you yeah. and happen because yep. that doesn't happen. Um, and you get what you put into it. And if you put into uh, put in a lot of work, you can reap the rewards, and the re- rewards should be yours. It is the one of the few things in life you can control, and that is how hard you work. And, I, and but back to your thing about uh, optimism and what I'm looking looking at about, I, you know, I used to I used to do a lot of a lot of speaking engagements. I don't quite do so many any, anymore, but uh, people would always ask me about the future of, of the world. Uh, future of the United States. And I always said, I'm, you know, I'm optimistic because I see, I see young men and women, particularly in the, in, in the military, who do things, mm-hmm. who have discipline, who have thoughts and ideas and are, and are expansive and not narrow-minded uh, uh, about things and i'm not just talking politics i'm talking about arts i'm talking about interpersonal reactions i'm mm-hmm. talking about you know uh, uh, family and and even even politics so i think that the leaders of tomorrow will emerge the if if you look at the united states the pendulum has swung back and forth from um a classical liberal which is what we started sure um to to progressivism, socialism, and and back and forth again. It's also the, the pendulum also swings from um, ultra religious thought to secular thought, and it swings back and forth, and it and it moves at a, at a different pace. Mm-hmm. And I see that pendulum continue to continue to swing. It's a nature. It's a nature of humans as people go along. They other thoughts and ideas develop develop in them, and they move in that direction. And later on, other people, if it gets too far, the pendulum gets too far out there, the weight of it yeah. brings it back. Always, always has. And I, man, there are so many periods of history that are repeated, just played by different characters. But it absolutely, and we've named people tyrants throughout mm-hmm. history who ha- all had similar ideas and ideals who were beaten back by the goodness of humanity. And I think even in a country that swings the ebb and flows of the, the extreme political debate, you know, <laughs> Stephen Douglas and, and Abraham Lincoln getting into it and jabbing at each other, oh. you, you know, that, that was pretty similar to what we see today. People think, oh, this John is... John Adams, the- Thomas Jefferson. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I mean, so, <laughs> so history repeats itself, and you're right, that pendulum does swing, but in the process, we we have accomplished some things that have been great, and there's still more to do in terms of physical illness and some of the diseases that are so despicable to society. I think eventually we'll get there, 
with with that too because we've overcome so many diseases that we don't even talk about anymore no that's that's correct <laughs> so uh but it's been good man 40 minutes just sitting here shooting the you know what with you and uh you <laughs> know the thing missing was the cigar that, I mean, you, you beat me to it <laughs> this is almost exactly what it's like either sitting at an establishment in town or in my courtyard the two of us there listening to music and just chatting we have these kinds of conversations and i think it's a it's an undervalued thing in society now it man. is an undervalued thing to sit down and just talk right. and explore each other's minds and thoughts and what do you think and how do you think and yep and sometimes we get silly too <laughs> no, no, well, a lot of times we get silly which which does add hours to your life by the way laughing is very good for you and i started last week talking to the folks at the at the event i said the, the fir- very first time that me and Coove talked i guess 15 16 years ago was an argument and i had to it took me a while to explain to him why he was wrong but uh and that's another one of those things if you if you tell a lie <laughs> often enough <laughs> Love you, brother. <laughs> Love you too, man. Podcasts have become a great way to get radio on demand. If you've wanted your own podcast, the time to call us is now. This year, Podcast 225 will be launching new shows and yours can be one of them. You won't have to build your own website and you'll be able to use professional broadcast equipment that will make your show sound amazing. If you'd like to know more, call 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Be a part of the on-demand audio movement today. Executone of Louisiana has been helping businesses in Baton Rouge save money on their telecommunications for over 40 years. Executone will help businesses upgrade their phones and intercom systems, save money, and never have to worry about local customer support. Doctors, offices, hospitals, schools, businesses, it doesn't matter. All kind have depended on the good people at Executone to upgrade technology and save money. I have a question for you. Do you like saving money? Sure, of course you do. Here's another one. Do you want to keep the most up-to-date phone and intercom technology while saving money? That's what it's all about. That's a no-brainer. Don't get sucked in by out-of-town companies who are not here if you need technical support. Executone has been here, and they believe in the value of customer service, baby. Don't take my word for it. Give them a call, 225-295-3500. That's 295-3500. Oh, look them up. ExecutoneLA.com. Executone of Louisiana. They still here. And they're going to continue to give you great service. This is the Clay Young Show. Thanks, Koo, for being in studio with me, brother. I always have a good time talking with him. That was a good line by him at the end. I let him get away with that. I told you he was smart. He is a very, very smart guy. Our guest on next week's edition of the Clay Young Show will be Tony Davis, who is a member of the Board of Elementary and Secondary Education here in Louisiana, a Bessie Board member, as we call him down here, and he'll be our guest on episode 205 of the Clay Young Show. We'll talk about what's happening with public schools across the state and the education system as a whole Are they ready to marry themselves to this ever-evolving landscape of how kids learn? Technology is a game-changer now. These kids are, as we talked about in the interview with Colonel Kuvion, I mean, they're walking around with hard drives on them. And so not just that, but how kids who live in poor situations require a different type of investment in education 
versus kids who don't. And so all of that and more with Tony Davis, who will be our guest on next week's edition of the Clay Young Show. Hey, listen, don't forget, you can follow me on Twitter at ClayYoungBR, on the gram, Instagram, Clay underscore Young BR, and of course on Facebook, just look up Clay Young. Like and share, like and share when you see something about the show. Like and share. Check out the other podcasts on podcast225.com, and I'll catch you on the next one here. Y'all have a great one. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.